He knew no German word for what he saw. A desolate forest setting, walls of pine and fir, sheathed in snow, looming beyond the wire. And within the compound, just three or four low wooden buildings around a larger one of concrete. There were no dogs or watchtowers either. Just laconic SS boys dressed in some kind of forester's outfit, dappled in the patterns and shadows of deep trees with automatic guns. More curiosities became evident shortly, and if the other prisoners cared merely for the ample bread, the soup, the occasional piece of sausage that it had become their incredible good fortune to enjoy, Shmuel at least would keep track. In fact, he and his comrades, he quickly came to realize, were still another oddity of the place. Why had the Germans bothered to gather such a shabby crew of victims? What do we have in common? Shmuel often wondered we Jews and Russians and Slavic types. There were twenty-five others, and in looking at them he saw only the outer aspects of himself in reflection. Small, wiry men, youngsters, many of them, with that furtive look that living on the edge of extinction seems to confer. Though now it was a fact they lived as well as any German soldier. Besides the food, the barrack was warm. Other small privileges were granted. They were allowed to wash, to use latrines— They were given the field-gray flannels of old Wehrmacht uniforms to wear and even issued the great woolen field coats from the Russian front. Here Shmuel experienced his first setback. He had the bad fortune to receive one that had been hacked with a bayonet. Its lining was ripped out. Until he solved this problem, he'd be cold. And then the labor. Shmuel had had the SS for an employer before at the IG Farben Synthetic Fuel Factory, The rule was double time or die. Here, by contrast, the work was mostly listless digging of defensive positions and the excavation of foundations for concrete blockhouses under the less-than-attentive eye of a pipe-smoking SS sergeant, an amiable sort who didn't seem to care if they progressed or not, just as long as he had his tobacco and a warm coat and no officers yelling at him. Once a prisoner had dropped his shovel in a fit of coughing, the sergeant looked at him, bent over and picked it up. He didn't even shoot him. One day, as the group fussed in the snow, a young corporal came out to the detail. "'Got two strong ones for me. Some heavy business in shit for. Shmuel heard the young man ask. "'Hans de Kike.' The sergeant sucked reflectively on his pipe, belched out an aromatic cloud of smoke, and said, uh, take the two on the end. The Russian works like a horse, and the little Jew keeps moving to stay warm. And he laughed. Shmuel was surprised to discover himself the little Jew. They were taken over to some kind of warehouse or supply shed just beyond the main building. Boxes were everywhere, vials, cans. A laboratory, wondered Shmuel uneasily. A small man in civilian clothes was already there. He did not glance at them at all, but turned to the corporal and said, Here, those. Have them load them up and get them over to the main center at once. Yes, Herr Engineer Doctor, said the corporal, and when the civilian fellow left, the corporal turned to Schmuel and said quite conversationally, Another Jew, you know. They'll come for him one day. Then he took them to the corner of the room where two wooden crates were stacked, and with a wave of the hand indicated to the prisoners to load them onto a dolly. Each crate weighed around seventy-five kilos, and the prisoners strained to get them down and across the room to the dolly. 
Shmuel had the impression of liquid sloshing weightily as he and the Russian crab walked the first one over, yet there was nothing loose about the contents. The twin runes of the SS flashed melodramatically in stencil across the lid, and next to them, also stamped, was the mighty German eagle clutching a swastika. The designation WVHA also stood out on the wood, and Shmuel wondered what it could mean. But he should not have been wondering. He should have been carrying. For the heel of his boot slipped, and he felt the crate begin to tear loose from his fingers. He groped in panic, but it really got away from him, and his eyes met the Russians in terror as the box fell. It hit the cement floor with a thud and broke apart. The Russian dropped to his knees and began to weep piteously. Shmuel stood in fear. The room blurred in the urgency of his situation. Askew on the cement, a great fluffy pile of excelsior spewing out of it like guts, the box...